0: Well, when my wife and I were first married, we did what a lot of newly married couples do. We decided we were going to buy a townhouse. And uh, we actually, we, we bought a townhouse that hadn't been built yet. We were pretty excited. They were out in the middle of a field, and this townhouse was being built. So we got to, you know, pick the carpet, and we got to pick the, the cabinets and all this kind of stuff. We'd actually go sneak in over to this development and, like, walk around the house before the walls were up. And we felt quite, you know quite like trespassing, even though we were, we were buying the house. It was kind of interesting. But we bought this house with an unfinished basement. And I had told my wife that that's fine because I can finish basements. Now, I've never finished a basement in my life. Um, um, I didn't really uh, have that many skills in the building con- uh, construction field, but I had friends they were really good at it, really, really good. And I remember when we were down in our basement and I had my friends over and we were looking at it and one of my, uh, one of my good friends has a brother who's uh, an architect, not the George Costanza architect from Steinfeld. He actually was an architect. And uh, he, he's talking about what we could do. We already had the bathroom roughed in in this area, and then we already had the, the washer and dryer in certain places already set up. But we, needed to want, we wanted to put in a half wall along this certain uh, uh, area and so that we could kind of you know, make a hallway. And I said, I said out loud, I said, I wonder how high or how tall we should make this half wall. And he looked at me and he said, Well, imagine that you have something in your hand and you want to put it down. He goes, that's how tall you make the wall. He goes, as an architect, we care about aesthetics, yes, but we also care about functionality. And he looked at me and he said this, this phrase that I've heard a million times since then. He said, you know, as an architect, we always start with the end in mind. We always start with the end in mind. Now, f- throughout the years, um, I've had lots of different uh, planning Um, uh, companies and software and books and planners and Franklin Covey and and all these different kinds of companies that kind of try to teach you that, you know, some of the best habits that you can have to be effective leaders. And one of them was start with the end in mind. Actually start every day with the end in mind. And if you can spend time every day in the morning visualizing what the end of your day wants to look like, what you want it to be, then you can start planning your day. It's putting that marker way out in front of you trying to kind of help guide you. It reminded me when uh, a group of buddies of mine in high school, we, we had a business where we'd haul hay, and we'd usually stop at the at rancher's house uh, in, his, in his fields, and we'd have the, uh, the trucks and the trailers, and he'd already have the hay baled. But this particular time, he did not have the hay baled, and he asked us if we could bale his hay for him and also then haul it to his barn. And, of course, we were getting extra money, so we said, sure. But one of the things we didn't realize as a 17-year-old boy was to take a a look at the distance and kind of get our point to where we're driving to uh, from a long way away. And what we did was we did what we normally do when you drive, you just kind of look out in front of you, and what, if you've never done a plowing or, or kind of driven across a long field, what you find is that you start to zigzag pretty dramatically. And you have to have that point out there in the distance, and you can look at it, and then your lines are straight. Start with the end in mind. Well, in the book of Matthew, that's pretty much what Jesus does. Jesus starts with the end in mind. And actually, Jesus' end in mind is what does the kingdom of God look like? What does it take for the kingdom of God to come near? And at the very end of his teaching, the night before he goes, uh, he's arrested and then executed, he leaves his disciples with this teaching it's the end in mind. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 25 verse 32 and following. This is what he says. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he's not only talking about uh, the Jewish nation of Israel, he's talking about all the nations. And he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, which are the sheep, So that's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's what the end looks like. The end looks like the hungry have food, the thirsty have something to drink, the stranger are welcomed, the naked have clothing, the sick are taken care of. This is what the end looks like. And in Jesus' ministry, we rewind three years before he said this in the book of Matthew, he starts with this another famous passage. And if you've been in church uh, at all in your life, you may have heard of this called the Beatitudes. It's the first teaching that Jesus gives in in the book of Matthew. It's His Sermon on the Mount. He starts with the end in mind. See how these two texts are similar. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And on and on Jesus goes. And then he ends with, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, How can its saltiness be restored? You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. And no one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket but on the lampstand and gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The very beginning of Jesus' ministry... In the book of Matthew, he starts with the end in mind. The end where the kingdom of God is like those who no longer hunger, no longer thirst. And from that very first teaching, that summer on the Mount, Jesus spends the next three years of his ministry trying to help this small group of people see the end as well. To keep the end in mind as well. Healing and leading. And all of that time, Jesus says pretty much the same thing over and over and over again. Take some time to read chapter 5, verse uh, through 25, and see where Jesus is reminding his disciples and the people that he's teaching over and over again, pretty much the same themes. Being a dad, I find that I repeat myself a lot. I repeat myself over and over and over and over again. And I pretty much say the same stuff. Turn off the lights, flush the toilet, <laughs> clean your room, right? I mean, we all have these phrases that we use, and we use them over and over again because they're important to us. I hear a phrase all the time, put your, cloak, or, put your coat in the closet, not on the banister, I think a coat belongs on a banister, but that doesn't belong on a banister. I hear the same things over and over as well. We repeat ourselves for a reason, because they're important. They're really, really important. And Jesus repeats himself in Matthew over and over again in all different kinds of situations. It was fun for me this morning as I walked into church. Um, there's a, a, a young man He's young, still young to me, uh, driving in. He's, uh, he's our bass player. His name is Dash. And I've known Dash for over 20 years. And Dash, I didn't know, Russ pulled it, I didn't know that he was going to come play bass with us this morning. And uh, I was like, this is really cool. This is amazing. And then Dash walks into my office and says, so what's the sermon going to be about today? And I go, Jesus. And he goes, isn't it every week about Jesus? And I said, yeah, but we have to repeat it over and over again because we lose focus and Jesus does the same thing over and over again with this group of disciples and he starts with the end in mind and the end ends up in chapter 25 with this weird phrasing and a use of sheep and goats sheep and goats i don't think a lot of us in this room unless we are going through uh, what is it goat yoga or whatever it's going on right now, spent a lot of time thinking about sheep and goats. But that was a big deal in Jesus' time, and when Jesus uses the, these two different uh, kinds of animals, sheep and goats, uh, we may you know think, well, that's you know that's interesting. Of course, you can tell a sheep from a goat, but in Jesus' time. The sheep had not been domesticated to look the same way as we have sheep now. There's been a lot of genetic modification and husbandry all the way through to get the sheep and the goats to look the way they are now. And, of course, sheep are pretty cool. They're cute when they're little. You know, they're cute little baby lambs. But I don't think there's anything cuter than a baby goat. I mean, they are cute. That's why there's goat yoga. And every time the zoo opens up, the farm opens up at the zoo, we're there, we're going again, feeding the baby goats. Well, what's up with the sheep and goats? Well, here's the deal. Back in Jesus' time, they looked very similar. To the untrained eye, you could not tell the difference between a sheep and a goat. It's interesting to us, even in this day and age, we call bighorn sheep. They don't look like a sheep. They look like like a deer almost, with big horns. And then you have mountain goats. They kind of look like sheep with all of their fur. And even in those days, it was really, really hard to tell apart. You couldn't tell them apart. But Jesus says there's one way you can tell a sheep apart from a goat. A sheep walks the walk. A goat, a goat just talks the talk. A couple chapters before in Matthew, Jesus is railing against the religious leaders of his day. He's railing against the pastors. He's going off on the pastors. They were called the Pharisees back then and the scribes. And he's saying to them, woe to you, woe to you. You act like you're, you, you, the outside of you is clean, but the inside is dirty. Dirty. You're talking the talk, but you're not walking the walk. You are a goat. You are not a sheep. And God has set you up to be a sheep, and you're a goat. So how do you tell a sheep from a goat? From someone who walks the walk, from someone who talks the talk. Someone who is walking the walk, is actively bringing the kingdom of God near. Because what does the kingdom of God look like? The hungry are fed. The thirsty have something to drink. The naked are clothed. The prisoners are visited. The least of these in my family, the least of these. And if you take care of them, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. And I want you all to be a sheep. I want every one of you to walk the walk. Now in many ways you and I together as a collective, as a church are working to do that together. We just had our our annual meeting a couple weeks ago. We had priorities that we're working on. We have teams that are gathered together uh, to work on all of these. Our young people are gathered together Uh, To do these as well. Jesus is our architect. Jesus is showing us how to build what we need to build. And as a congregation, we're trying as best we can to be that city on a hill, to be that salt, to be that light in the world. It's one of the reasons why we increased our budget this year towards the ELCA. The LCA is a a national, a worldwide organization that we're a part of that has lots of hunger programs and disaster relief programs and all kinds of things that walk the walk. And as a congregation, when we give them support, we're doing that. We're walking the walk. It's also one of the reasons why we increased our budget towards this school in Uganda Tasaga, Bruhan, the director, came last summer and shared with us about this school with kids who were born with HIV/AIDS. And in Uganda, they have no chance; they have no shot. But he decided he was going to do something about it, and some other people decided they were going to do something about it. And they came and they talked to Resurrection, and Resurrection said, "Yeah, we'll help as well. We want to walk the walk. We want to be that city on a hill." We want to be that salt. We want to be that light. It's one of the reasons why we financially support Camp Wapo. We financially support the Christian cupboard. It's why so many of us in this room have made, had made meals at East Emanuel or spent overnights at Hope for the Journey Home, a homeless shelter in Woodbury, because we want to walk the walk. We want to be that light. We want to be that lamp. We want to be able to be the sheep that God calls us to be. And not only are we trying to do that in our church as a, a, a combined congregation, but God calls us to do that in our individual lives. We all have basements in our own spirits and our own souls, and God wants to be a part of that building, that foundation in our lives. And so I'm going to encourage you through this season of Lent. This next, uh, this coming Wednesday, is Ash Wednesday. We'll be starting this Lenten journey walking towards the cross and walking towards the empty tomb. And the word for you and I is how can we more closely walk with Jesus in this time? Where in our own lives are there opportunities for us In our own workplaces, in our own schools, in our own friendships, in our own families, in our own just regular everyday lives where we can welcome the stranger. Where we can feed the hungry. Where we can give drink to the thirsty. Where we're able to visit those who are in prison. Where we're able to give care to those who are sick. It's not just the trappings of the church that does this. It's not just the pastor or the staff that does this. It's everyone. It's you and me gathered together. And so over this season of Lent, there will be uh, opportunities to, uh, to connect in, opportunities uh, for you and to ideas that will be, hopefully spark you uh, in your own life. And maybe you're already doing a lot of that, and you can share with us and invite others in to be a part of that as well. I am excited for Lent for several reasons, but that's one of them. It's for us to be able to refocus for those 40 days and to see how we can be the sheep that God is calling us to be. Let us pray. Lord God, we give you thanks that you call to us, that you believe in us, that you believe in us, that you're able to send your own son to not only give us new life, but to show to us how we can do these things, how we can live as your people. Lord God, give us the wisdom, give us the courage to step out beyond ourselves, that we would give of who we are to this world to make a difference in your name. Lord God, we ask that you continue to move in the life of resurrection. As a congregation, we would continue to be gathered around these important values that we may be able to see the kingdom of God come ever more near to us. Oh God, we ask all this in your holy and great name. Amen.